Our reading this afternoon is from Ruth chapter 1, 1 through 18. This is what Holy Scripture says. In the days when judges ruled the land, there was a famine, and the man, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, and the name of the one was, Op uh, was Orpah, and the, name of the, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law and returned to the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and, the, and they went on the way to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them. And, she, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that I may become your husbands? That may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but these words of our God will stand forever. Good afternoon, King's Church. It is good to be with you. My name is Jonathan Keenan, and I serve as the RUF, Reformed University Fellowship Campus Minister at UCSB. And I always enjoy when I get the email from David or Jason asking me to come and to preach. Um, one, because I love to preach, and two, because I love to stand before people, especially churches like King's, who support the work of RUF because I want to just simply say thank you. Thank you for your ongoing support, your encouragement to this ministry that is near and dear to my heart and that serves our denomination, I think, very well. So thank you, and thank you for the opportunity to, to be here to open up God's Word for us. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to that passage that was read. We're going to do kind of a fly-by sermon in this Old Testament book of Ruth. A couple of years ago, I came across a story uh, about a pastor 
professor, theologian, a guy by the name of B.B. Warfield. That name may or may not be familiar uh, to you, but he was a, a theologian and professor at Princeton University in the early 20th century. And the story I came across was about him and his wife, uh, his, his newly wife, Annie. B.B. Uh, and Annie went over to Germany uh, for kind of a, a, a mini honeymoon. And while they were there, they went out for a walk in a particular mountain range in Germany, and they were overtaken by a severe thunderstorm. And this thunderstorm severely traumatized Annie to the degree that she became incapacitated. And she lived out her days as an invalid until her death in, in uh, I think, 1913. And the story that I read about uh, was, was really talking about B.B.'s uh, love and devotion and commitment to his wife Annie after um, this incident had occurred. And they never had any kids. And it, the story said that B.B. never spent more than two hours away from his wife Annie. He would actually host his classes in his parlor in his house so as to be near to her in case she needed him. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of covenant love. Of a love that is a, a promise, not just of, of present love, but it's, it's a promise of future love no matter the cost. And that is a wonderful picture of the kind of love that God has for his people. A covenant love where he binds himself to his people, makes a promise not just of, of present love, but a promise of, of future love no matter the cost. A promise of future love, even when you go through the pains of living in a fallen and broken world. When you're just devastated by life, God has bound himself to his people with a covenant love. And, and here's the thing. Suffering, disappointment heartache, despair, moral failure, all of those things are unavoidable in this life. And when you're going through such difficulty or pain, when you're just devastated by life, you can begin to question things, right? You can begin, you can begin to ask yourself questions like, do I still matter in this thing called life? Is there, is there meaning? Is there purpose? If you're spiritual, you can begin to question, where is this promised love in the midst of my devastation? Where is God's steadfast love in the midst of my disappointment, my doubt, my despair. The story that was just read, we meet 
two incredible women, Ruth and Naomi. And I love what we're about to learn about Ruth and Naomi. But in the midst of of Naomi and Ruth's devastation, God's covenant love, his steadfast love shows up. And we're surprised in many ways by the hope of his grace that begins a work of redemption and restoration in the lives of these two incredible women. And so before we jump into the text, let me just pray one more time and ask God to be with us. Let me pray before we consider this text. Lord Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, would they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. If you look at verse 1, it kind of gives the entire context of the whole book of Ruth. Uh, You can look at it like this. If you zoom the camera way out, of Ruth, you find out what the tone and the context is. The narrator says that this story takes place in the time of the judges. And if you're unfamiliar with the time of the judges, it is a very dark part of Israel's history. And you can read about this darkness in the book of Judges, which is one book over. But there's this refrain in the book of Judges. And the refrain is this, there is no king in the land and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There's no king and literally everyone is just doing whatever they want. And so when you zoom the camera way in, Ruth is a picture of a particular family living in the land where there is no king and everyone's just doing whatever they want. And you're immediately confronted with utter devastation. Elimelech, we learn, has a young family. And there's a famine in the land. There's there's no bread in Bethlehem. There's no bread in the house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. And so Elimelech does what any one of us would do. I've got to figure out how to provide for my family. We have no food. So he takes his family to Moab, to enemy territory, to find bread. And what do we see? Elimelech dies. And now Naomi is left as a widow, a foreigner, with no resources and no future prospect. But she has two sons. And we learn that her two sons take Moabite wives, Ruth and Orpah. And there's this very curious detail where it says that when they took Moabite wives, they stayed 10 more years, which greatly suggests that Orpah and Ruth were both barren, unable to have kids, unable to continue the lineage for Naomi and her family, which was a big deal in the ancient Near East. No family means no security. No prosperity, no future. And then the devastation gets worse. We find out that Naomi's two sons then die. 
In five verses, Naomi has lost her husband and two children. And it's against this backdrop where we begin to learn what faith, hope, and love looks like through the lens of Naomi and Ruth. And so what I want to do this afternoon is I, I, I want to look at two things. It really, it's one point in, in two directions or two points in, in the same direction, however you want to outline this. But I just want to look at the hope of God's grace for Naomi and the hope of God's grace for Ruth. And then so what? The hope of God's grace for Naomi, the hope of God's grace for Ruth, and then so what? First, the hope of God's grace for Naomi. I mean, throughout this chapter, you just, you sense the pain and the cry of Naomi's soul. She is in serious grief. And I think we just need, I think we need to take time to weep with Naomi because if, if any one of those things happened to us, it would devastate us to lose a spouse, which some of you perhaps have, or to lose a child. She's lost both, and there's this bitter lament that comes out of her heart. You, you see this throughout the chapter where she's literally crying out, in the pain of her soul. And it's really captured in verse 13. Look down at verse 13. Where she cries out. She's, she's talking to Orpah and to Ruth. She's saying, I need to go back to Bethlehem. But she says, it's the hand of the Lord that has gone out against me. I mean, the cry of her soul, the lament of her her pain is that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And what I want you to see is the hope of God's grace shows up right after she says this. Right after she cries out to the Lord that your hand has gone out against me. Look at verse 14. <laughs> what do we see? Verse 14, we read that Orpah kissed her goodbye, but what did Ruth do? Ruth clung to her. Lord, your hand has gone out against me, and Ruth's hand is clinging to Naomi. The Lord answers Naomi's cry through the fierce grip of Ruth's love for her mother-in-law. I mean, that word for cling, it's the same Hebrew word that you find in, in the early parts of Genesis. Where it says that it's not good that man should, should be alone. Therefore, the man shall leave his father and mother and, and hold fast or cling to his wife. Ruth is literally becoming a living picture of the gospel. God answers her cry through the fierce grip of Ruth. Now, how do we see that? Well, did you catch the vow in verses 15 and 16? Ruth literally says, where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Where you die, 
I die. Where you're buried, I'm buried. And then at the very end, she says, if any of those things do not happen, she pronounces a curse of death on her. Literally, Ruth is a living sacrifice in the life of Naomi. She's a living picture of the gospel and the life in the midst of Naomi's devastation. That is the hope of God's grace for Naomi. And it shows up through the person and work of Ruth. One of my favorite podcasts is um, Modern Love. I don't know if you've ever come across that podcast. You may not be podcast listeners. I feel like sometimes I sound more intellectual when I say the podcast, you know. Um, but a couple of years ago, I came across this story about a, a husband and wife, and, and they were woken up one morning um, by the FBI raiding their house. Not the wake-up call you would ever want or expect. And they... Both, the husband and wife, were both arrested for money laundering, wire fraud, and embezzlement. Um, Now, the wife had not so much gotten a parking ticket in her entire life. She had no idea what was going on. And, of course, through the investigation, the FBI realized that her husband had stolen her identity and begun to run his kind of criminal empire through her name. But because it was a federal charge, it had to hold against her for 90 days. And in that 90-day period, um, this woman lost everything. She lost her home, her marriage, financial resources. All of it was frozen by the FBI. She literally had nothing. And she had to move back home with her parents. And she says in the podcast, she goes, I was, I was so ashamed and so embarrassed having, having to be 28 and move back into my parents' house that I refused to sleep in my childhood bed. So she slept on the couch. And her mother ended up for 90 days sleeping on the other couch beside her. For 90 days, her mother began to take on some of the pain and some of the devastation to the degree that the mother became physically and emotionally ill to where she had to go get help. She had to go to a counselor. And the counselor told the mom, said, you've got to stop making this about you. This whole situation's not about you. This is about your daughter and the devastation that she's going through. But I want you to hear how the daughter began to interpret what her mother was actually enduring. Listen to this. My mother making this about her was actually saving me. To know that someone loved me so much, was willing to feel my pain so intensely that it kept her on the laundry room floor for a day, made me feel encased in a bubble of protection. I began to wonder if sadness was this finite thing, a big black mess of which there was only so much in the world. If so, my mother was sharing it with me so that I did not have to bear the full weight. Devastation, slowly being healed and redeemed through the unconditional love of another. That is what Ruth 
is doing for Naomi. And what's so remarkable about the vow that Ruth made to Naomi, and every commentator points this out, that that vow mirrors the vow that God made to his people. Like the vow that God makes that runs through the entire Old and New Testament, and that vow was this. That covenant was this. God looks at his people and says, I will be your God and you will be my people no matter what. I will be your God and you will be my people no matter what. And we know that that is ultimately fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Where God looks to his people and says, I won't even let you go at the cost of my own son. Because Jesus comes as a man, as the second person of the Trinity. He became what he was not, without ever ceasing to be who he always was. He came as a man, took on our pain, our suffering, took on our sin. The thing that literally threatened the covenant that God made with us. He took it on himself so that that promise that we would be God's people would always be true. Ruth is a living picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the life of Naomi in the midst of her utter devastation. That is the hope of God's grace for Naomi. And what's so remarkable about this is that at the very end of Ruth, the women of Israel, they praise Ruth for her unrelenting love to her mother-in-law. If you go to the very end, they basically say that she's one of the greatest women in all of Israel's history because of what she did, the display of love that she gave to her mother-in-law. And here's what I want you to think about. When you call up that friend that you know is hurting and is lonely, who perhaps is in the midst of utter devastation, and you go and sit with them and weep with them and love them, or when you invite someone into your life to be known and cared for and to be embraced and welcomed, do you know what you're doing? You're being the hands and feet of Jesus in a world that has fallen and broken. You're displaying the very gospel, the good news, and the lives of utter devastation. See, God hears the cry of Naomi's soul and immediately sends Ruth. That's the hope of God's grace for Naomi. What about the hope of God's grace for Ruth? Well, we didn't read this far, but down in verse 22, and to the end, you find out that it's harvest season. The famine is over. There's bread back in the house of bread. And so Naomi decides it's time to go back to Bethlehem. 
She tries to convince Orpah and Ruth to go back to Moab. Orpah does. Ruth clings to her. And so now Naomi and Ruth are on their way back to Bethlehem. But the narrator does this. He says, Naomi and Ruth, the Moabite, head back to Bethlehem. Seven other times in this book, the narrator will define Ruth as Ruth, the woman from Moab. The Moabite from Moab. <laughs> over and over and over, it's, it's kind of redundant. And you kind of, after you've read it a couple of times, you're like, okay, we get it. She's from Moab. What's the big deal? It's a massive deal. And what I want you to understand is that the hope of God's grace and the life of Ruth comes in the most unlikely of ways. Who are the Moabites? You can read about this in Genesis 19, but there was a man named Lot who threw a drunken orgy, impregnated his two daughters. And they both had sons. And one of the sons' name was Moab, who became the father of the Moabites, who became one of the arched enemies of Israel, who they worshipped a god named Chemosh, or Shemosh. I never know which one. But this God was often worshipped through human sacrifice. And what I want you to see is that God's grace reaches into the heart of a pagan land, into enemy territory, and it grabs a barren widow from an incestuous lineage and brings her into the promised land. And not only that, brings her into the covenant family of God. And not only that, says, you're going to get married and you're going to have a son and you are going to become the mother of Jesus who's going to be the definitive answer for our greatest enemy, sin and death. Amazing. And what I want you to see is that the hope of God's grace will reach anyone, wherever they are. And what's so remarkable about Ruth is that this grace... Man, it cultivated an unwavering commitment to the Lord, to Yahweh. Think about it. Ruth literally left everything to follow God. I mean, she immediately disobeys her mother-in-law, which I found is not a good idea, right? Naomi's saying, listen, go back to Moab. It is better for you to go back to Moab to find a husband so that you can have a family, so that you can have security and protection in the future. And Ruth says, no, I'm going to follow the Lord into Bethlehem. I'm going to leave behind my family, my ethnicity or my ethnic roots, my religious roots, to be a barren widow 
in a foreign land, committing myself to a widow, to an uncertain future, because I made a commitment, a vow to do so. Her faith is astounding that she would literally leave everything behind to follow God. Knowing that she, the Moabite, would have been, you know, there would have been so much mockery from the other women. Oh, this is Ruth the Moabite. She's not one of us. And yet her commitment to God was unwavering. It was unrelenting. Her faith was not an abstraction. It was not esoteric. It was real and it was active. You see, the hope of God's grace for Ruth produced in her an unwavering commitment to God. So what do we do with that? Two things and I'll close. The first is this, and I want you to believe this, that God's grace always clings no matter what. There's no amount of devastation or darkness that could ever snuff out the light of his grace. And if you're here this afternoon and you question whether or not you matter to God, or you question whether or not his grace is for you, Look at Naomi and look at Ruth. He literally reached into the heart of enemy territory and pulled out a woman and said, I'm going to make her the mother of my son who's going to save the whole world. You don't think you matter? You matter to him immensely because his grace always clings to you no matter where your feet may take you or what circumstances may come. Look at Naomi. He reached into her despair. And his grace clung to her through the person of Ruth. His grace will always cling to you. No matter what. But his grace will also cultivate in us a faith. An obedience. It will cultivate in us a commitment to him. Ruth's faith was so counterintuitive. She literally left everything behind to follow God. And you need to ask yourself the question this afternoon. Are there places in my life where I have perhaps put a sign in front of me that says to God, no trespassing? <laughs> I mean, are there places in your life right now where you've, where you've said to God, you know what? You can have this area over here, but you can't touch this. Whether this is your family or your workaholism or your obsession with money or your addictions or your marriage. You see, when you are confronted with the unwavering commitment of God, you know what it does? It actually cultivates and fuels a commitment to Him. That's how it works. 
God's grace always clings and it cultivates a faith, a commitment, an obedience to him because you believe his steadfast love, his promised love. Let me close with this story. I recently finished uh, the documentary. It's, well, it's not a documentary. It's based off a true story um, on Netflix. Well, when They See Us, it's the um, four-part series about the Central Park Five, the five African-American boys um, in the late 80s in Central Park who were accused of a crime they did not commit. And they spent anywhere from five to 12 years in prison. Um, it was an incredibly difficult series to watch. Very powerful. But there was this scene that just really undid me. And it's this scene where the, uh, Kevin Richardson, he's one of the youngest of the five boys, um, is in jail and his mom comes to see him. And, and Kevin looks at his mom and says, I keep having this nightmare that everyone hates me in this world. His mom looks at Kevin and she says, Son, I have loved you enough to deal with everybody's hate. She says, You're not alone in this. She says, All I do all day long is love you. She says, You cry, I cry. You scared, I'm scared. When you're free, I'm free. You and me always. And friends, I thought, wow. If that is not the promise that God gives you this day in Jesus, where he looks to you this day in Jesus and says, all I do all day long, is love you. And nothing will ever separate me and you, you and me, always and forever because of what my son has done for you. Friends, that is the hope of God's grace for every single one of us. Consider that an invitation to come and to believe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do ask that we, no matter where we are, either in devastation, disappointment, doubt, sorrow, joy, we pray that we might always believe that all you do all day long is love us because of your unbelievable commitment to the promise that you made long ago that you would be our God and we would be your people. Lord, would you take the story in Ruth and would you write it upon all of our hearts so that we might in days and weeks and years to come believe in your steadfast love.
for we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.